Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And for today's episode, episode 87, we continue our look into season 9 where we are focusing on Oscar winning films. In today's episode, we're going to have a look at the 2012 political thriller film Argo. Based on a selection from Tony Mendes called The Master of Disguise and also an article in the Weird magazine called, not the Weird magazine, the Wired magazine called The Great Escape. Uh, the film is directed by Ben Affleck and also stars him with a supporting cast including Tate Donovan, Raymond Chandler, Brian Cranston, John Goodman, Alan Arkin, Claire Duvall and Scott Maneri. Now, one thing I admire about Hollywood is the tendency to tell real-life stories that people may not be aware of. Clint Eastwood is a leading contender on the matter, directing true stories that captivate the news for a short while and soon got lost in the pages of history, only to be revitalised by Clint Eastwood and Hollywood. I mean, Ben Affleck takes a page out of Eastwood's book here with Argo, a bizarre story of how in the late 70s, early 80s, in fact, the CIA, with the help of the Canadians, managed to somehow smuggle a group of Americans from Iran after they escaped the US embassy overrun by protesters. I mean, Iran was on a witch hunt for any Americans living in Iran after the US had chosen to admit the Shah of Iran for medical treatment. The most obvious place was overrun, the US embassy, leaving people of the embassy building spreeing for their lives and just left on the streets looking for refuge. Now, being a white person on the streets of Iran whilst the Shah was cozy enough in a medical centre in the American states of, I think it was, New York was completely suicide. I mean, the six Americans eventually managed to find refuge in a Canadian official's house where they were there for a total of 79 days. That's just short of three months in a very small house with six of them and not even allowed to go outside of fear they might have been seen. I mean, the diplomats there were held hostage by the Iranians, the ones that were held hostage that were... When the protesters basically stormed the US embassy, they actually got hold of a, a few diplomats and held them hostage. And that was for a total of 444 days. That's one year and a quarter. I think they detained around 50 Americans. Now, if you're around that time or old enough to understand the news, you may have remembered hearing about this. But if you are 39 or less, like myself, you probably didn't hear about this until Ben Affleck and George Clooney decided to do a film about it. And what you do know with the right script adapted with, you know, the real life CIA agent who went there, they created a suspenseful thriller based on a lost story and it ended up winning the Academy's most prestigious award, the best picture. Now, like most films, what I usually do is find out how much of it of what I saw is true and find some articles on the matter and interviews. And you usually find out that these true life stories are either a tad fabricated or ridiculously lying to our faces using only small portions of reality like they did in Captain Phillips being a hero or us feeling sorry for Mike Gardner in The Pursuit of Happiness, even though he beat his wife and he wasn't completely homeless. But it sells tickets. I mean, luckily, Argo wasn't a product of lies, but it did sidestep a few truths to better the production of the movie in terms of timing and holding the suspense with the relevant matter. I think there was an interview with um, Piers Morgan did with, um, I think it was President at the time, Jimmy Carter. And Carter went on to say that the film was a terrific drama and it deserved to win the Oscar for Best Film. Uh, but he also said that 90% of the contributions, uh, the contributions, to the ideas that the you know that the plan was um mainly by the canadians and the film what argo does is heavily indicates that the cia the american cia was solely responsible for the orchestration of smuggling the americans out of iran now with that little exception the movie was very good jimmy carter said and he also went on record and said that the main hero in his opinion was ken taylor who is the canadian ambassador who apparently orchestrated the entire process 
I mean, there were some other inconsistencies with the fact of the story when in the movie it did state that both the British and the New Zealand embassy in Tehran actually refused the entry of the American diplomats. I mean, the film literally only shows the Canadian giving them refuge, but in reality... The British did, in fact, shelter them for about six days, but it was agreed by everyone, the Americans, that the Canadians was, um, the Canadian embassy, in fact, would be the more secure and suitable, and so they moved them to the uh, Canadian. But that wasn't shown in the movie. And as for the New Zealand, uh, New Zealanders, I guess that's how you say it, like how you say British for Britain, New Zealanders. As for the New Zealanders, they were the ones that officially transported them. So all this was acknowledged by Ben Affleck in a Q&A, and he simply said that I have to agree with him, uh, you know, all these facts, they're true, they're there's no denying it, but that he deviated from the real life events in order to quicken the pace and build up the tension of the two scenes at the beginning and end of the movie at the airport. And, you know, you have to agree with it. You know, so for this film, I mean, we've got some pretty edge of your seat moments. Like I said previously, the opening scene where the Americans are fleeing and the last scene where the Americans are also fleeing, but going through the airport this time, which makes it a rather good book ending. And the middle is the build up to the escape and trying to find out, as they put it, the best bad idea they have by far. Now, in the opening scene, to touch on the reality of the crowd scenes and the atmosphere of the protest, the cameraman gave 8mm cameras out to certain people in the crowd to make it more authentic. And with the ju- juxtaposition of the Americans in the MC, it really does bring that tension in with the audience. The dramatic ending scene at the gar- uh, the airport, you know, one of the most memorable scenes in the movie, arguably one of the most tense scenes in a while in the best picture, where there was a last-minute chase by the Republic Guard and a slight delay at the airport, is entirely fictional. fictional. In reality, the diplomats and Mendez showed up for their flights with airport tickets already booked and they absolutely had no trouble boarding their plane. The actual flight was at 5.30 in the morning, which meant there was no Republic guards on duty. Some experts said that around the time those guards wouldn't have gotten up, gotten up that early despite what was going on in Iran at the time. So that entire scene at the end with the airport is completely fabricated. I mean, just to build a bit more tension, none of that happened. There wasn't a chase scene or people chasing them on the airport or the airport strip. There wasn't any problems getting in it was pretty simple it's just the knowledge that they knew if they found out who they were then you know god help them they would have been hung on the streets like they were shown in the movie but yeah um and if you look closely at the end scene um and this is just a really nitpicky thing the iranian chief guard that questions ben affleck at the end and all of them actually um is the same guard that is seen arresting a woman at the airport when ben affleck is shown entering iran so it's quite an interesting so and the camera actually stays with him for a while so it's actually quite a little nod there and one thing i was a little annoyed about for you know two good reasons other than i just knew the timeline and it was a small thing was that the hollywood sign is shown to be completely destroyed and yes it did what it was destroyed in the early 70s late 70s um it was left damaged but the restoration was actually completed way before the events of this iran situation happened actually so it was a bit pointless of it being there but did you know it was in i think it was 1978 they had a fundraising campaign to restore the sign where nine prominent people gave about $28,000 which is the cost for one letter by the way for the restoration to go ahead so obviously hollywood has nine letters so they got like nine people to pay 28 grand uh 28 grand each to you know contribute to the restoration of the hollywood sign i think hugh hefner was one of them and rock star alice cooper was another i believe he specifically bought the third o in the hollywood sign anyway yeah useless fact anyway now with films sometimes i usually go on about how this person was an mc universe and so was this other person imdb loves talking about that like i did with my previous podcast when i said that the two main stars of the hurt locker were both in the marvel universe now it's really you know it's really 
boring to sort of talk about that now because nowadays everyone's in an MCU universe and you can link kind of like anyone with anyone because they've been in the MCU universe. But in Argo, I won't be talking about the stars of the movie. In fact, I don't actually think any of the main characters have been in the MCU universe, which is actually becoming quite a rarity. I mean, yeah, okay, Ben Affleck played Daredevil, but that wasn't with Marvel Studios. But anyway, but in this film, there's a character cameo in this movie. And if you know your Marvel history, you would probably have gotten it right away. And that's the character of Jack Kirby, played by Michael Parks, who was briefly shown as the artist of the storyboards for the fake movie. And this is completely true, by the way. Now, Jack Kirby, if you happen to be a nerd, was a pioneer in the American comic book industry and co-creator of some of the comics books that came out at the same time, like Captain America, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and even the Avengers comic book, and also silver surfer as he famously done uh so there's a little marvel connection in this movie unlike no other another interesting reference in this movie if you know your hollywood history is that scene with john goodman and alan arkin and ben affleck where they're trying to make their fake movie look more plausible and john goodman who plays cigar recalls that he made a movie with rock hudson one time and he draws the conclusion that if you want to believe a lie you have the media broadcast it for you now if you understood his reference, it's actually quite a funny thing. But yeah, it's the most likely a reference because Rock uh, Rock Hudson was a closet uh, was a clomet, uh, sorry was a closet homosexual for most of his life, and his agent Henry Williams actively fed the media in misinformation about Hudson's so-called girlfriends to mainstream media to sort of bring in this charade that he was actually straight. Now, when the media got a whiff of the fact that Rock Hudson was gay, Henry Wilson fed them a scandalous information about some less famous actors involved in some kind of scandal. And in that time, while they were sort of deviating away with some other stupid story, he arranged Rock, Rock Hudson to have a fake marriage with his secretary. And Rock Hudson said that if the media did say, uh, if the, if basically if the media sort of outed him and said that Rock Hudson was gay, um, that they wouldn't believe him now because he's married. So his homosexuality was not widely known until after his death in 1985, as you know, only a select few in his inner circle found out about. But yeah, that's the reference that John Goodman was talking about. So this film, I mean, although it's based in Iran. They didn't film any of the scenes in Iran. A lot of people were unhappy about the casting of Ben Affleck since he's a European-American playing a Latino-Hispanic uh, real-life person. Uh, Tony Mendez, who, the person he's playing, said he had no problem with Ben Affleck. I mean, he approved of his performance. He was absolutely fine with it. I mean, I bet he's fine with it. The movie won the Oscar. To somewhat counteract that, Ben Affleck also received amazing reviews from his performance simply because his because he directed the film as well. Uh, because the film chose to show a more realistic manner in which a spy works. It wasn't your 007 or, you know, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible. I mean, it was, you know, it was just a normal, this is what a spy does and this is how it does. It's not all climbing rock walls and explosions. This is what a spy's job usually is 90% of the time. But then others counteracted that with, you know, well, Ben Affleck's six feet, six feet four tall, kind of good looking, whereas the real Tony Mendez was five foot seven, a bit pudgy, had dark skin, dark hair, and ordinary features, and was, you know, really good at blending into places, which is exactly what you want in a spy. Spies are normally not tall or good looking. They just blend into any scenario, uh, like Tony Mendez did in the Middle East, in America, in Europe. So, yeah. Someone like Ben Affleck, I mean, of course, stands out most notably at the scene at the bazaar, but you can't really please everyone now, can you? I mean, there's an old saying, if you please 10 people, you're going to upset 20. So there you go. So you can actually see the real Tony Mendez passing by Ben. You probably won't see him because he's a spy, but yeah, blending with the crowd. But you can actually see the real Tony Mendez passing by Ben Affleck with his family when he's dropped off at the airport. And some, some of Tony, uh, Tony Mendez's family also have cameos as some of the passengers on the bus that goes to the airplane at the end of the movie. 
Now, I chose this film because it won the Oscar, so let's talk about the Oscars. So the film came out on top, winning Best Picture at the 85th Academy Awards. And what a year it was. I mean, it was a very mixed year. And what I mean by that is when a film usually wins Best Picture, it also takes home some of the other big awards too, like Best Director or maybe Best Actress or Best Actor. This wasn't the case for the 85th Academy Awards. It was a really mixed bag. Now, Argo only won three Oscars from the seven it was nominated for. I say only three Oscars, still a massive achievement. But a lot of people were shocked that Ben Affleck wasn't even nominated for Best Actor or Best Director, considering the film won Best Picture. So that was a stupid and massive snub. I mean... There was a lot of politics of Oscars, honestly. I don't want to rant, but I'm about to. I mean, yeah, Ben Ben Affleck bagged his second Oscar for Best Picture as producer, shared with George Clooney, who um, uh, won his second Oscar as well. I mean, both actors played Batman as well, so a nice little sling there. But, but yeah, when I say politics, I don't understand how a film that the Academy chose for Best Picture didn't even get a nomination for Best Director or Actor. I mean, Alan Arkin was the only person to get an acting award for the film not an acting award an acting nomination and he was just playing himself he didn't even do anything extraordinary he's a fine actor and i love him to bits he's good at what he does but what did he do specifically to get a nomination it's like when laura dern won best supporting actress for marriage story and of all the other actors she was the worst one and when i say worse i mean the others were just amazing adam driver scarlett hansen ray liarty i mean of what, what how did she win i mean is it just because we like characters now so likeable characters win Oscars. It's not down to acting anymore. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's like how Brad Pitt won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, what did he do to become a great actor in that film? He didn't do any acting in that movie. It's just because he was a likeable character. So let's give him the Oscar. It's completely backwards and it's completely political, uh, political now. But yeah. Anyway, Alan Arkin during campaigning met Brian Cranston, who both in the film, who to his surprise didn't know he was in the film simply because they didn't have any scenes together. And they both knew each other from the press from Little Miss Sunshine, where the exact thing happened, both in the movie but shared no scenes together. Alan Arkin was actually the first uh, actor to be cast in this movie. But yeah, I love Alan Arkin. I don't mean to disrespect him, but I just don't understand why he got an actor actor nomination for doing, I don't know, what? He he didn't do anything. But John Goodman, another actor that I love, he he deserves a a nomination. I mean, he deserves a lot of nominations. He shared scenes of Alan Arkin, and he has a nice record for himself. He appeared in two consecutive Oscar-winning films, the Artist, the year prior, and then Argo. And in both films, he portrays a Hollywood character, a producer and the artist and a makeup artist in this movie. I mean, you know, I feel bad at what I said about Laura Dern. I mean, you know, I'm a diehard Jurassic Park fan, but it's all politics. I mean, she was due. I mean, you know, she, you know, her father's Bruce Dern. She's been in the business for a while. Let's give her an Oscar for this semi-okay film. You know, it, you know that it's the same. It's the reason why Brad Pitt won the Oscar. He's been in the business a while now. Let's recognize him. Here you go, Brad. Here's an Oscar for playing, you know, yourself, you know, a hippie kind of character who just is cool. And, you know, that's all it is. There's no acting involved in it, really. But, yeah, it's more political than recognition of work, honestly. Anyway, ran over. So, yeah, Argo won three Oscars, Best Picture, Best Writing, and Best Achievement in Editing. But, anyways, like I was saying, it was a mixed bag. Now, Best Director went to Ang Lee for Life of Pi, uh, which I agreed with. No one thought that film could be ever hit the screens. I mean, if you read the book, it's flipping Tiger and a Zebra on a boat for most of it. I mean... Good luck making that, but Ang Lee did, so yeah, rightfully so, he won Best Director. But Ben Affleck should have been at the very least nominated, but no, he did not. Daniel Day-Lewis won for Best Actor, his third Oscar, record-breaking Oscar. No one else has done it. He played, he did Lincoln. 
Abraham Lincoln, great performance. Jennifer Lawrence on Best Actress for Silver Linings Playbook, good film, love that movie. Christoph Waltz won Best Supporting Actor for Django Unchained. And Han, uh, Anne Hathaway for Best Supporting Actress for, um, for the role of Fantine in Les Mis. So Argo, Lincoln, Life of Pi, Les Mis, Django, and Silver Linings Playbook each individually won the top awards. That's what I mean by a mixed bag. Also, Argo is the first film in seven years to win the Oscar for Best Picture without winning the Oscar or without getting a nomination for Best Director. Actually, no, that's not true. Let me rephrase that. Argo is the first film in seven years to win the Oscar for Best Picture without winning the Oscar for Best Director. The last movie was Crash, which was a prize winner. So not only in the last seven years did the Best Director win and get nominated, they won the Best Picture. Ben Affleck didn't even get nominated. Shocking. Now, for shocking, it was the it was the first movie in 23 years to win Best Picture without the director being nominated for an Oscar. That was the last time. And that was back in 1989, the year I was born, for Driving Miss Daisy. And if you want to keep going with these facts, these ridiculous facts, it's the first Best Picture winner since 1932. That's 80 years to have won Best Picture and not to be nominated for Best Director or any of the leading acting categories. The last one was in 1932 when the Grand Hotel came out, which was only three years after the Oscars were even a thing. Absolute joke. Massive snub. But for me, you know, I think Ben Affleck's a fantastic director. I mean, if you watch his other films, I mean, I think he's a better director than actor. I think Casey Affleck is the actor in the family. I mean, rightfully, he won for Manchester and the Sea for acting. But, you know, Ben Affleck directing, he's a, he's a natural. I mean, this was his third film he directed after Gone Baby, Gone in the Town. And each of those films, uh, there was a nomination for Best Supporting Actor or Actress. Amy Ryan for Gone Baby, Gone. Jeremy Renner for The Town. And, of course, Alan Arkin for this movie. I mean, Argo became the first film he directed not to be set in his hometown, Boston, for obvious reasons, and also the film he did, um, the first film he did without having a writing part for the movie. He would later go on and direct the fourth film he's done. I think it's a film noir gangster film called Live by Night with his Argo co-star Chris Messner. It's a good film, actually. Very, if you like the uh, the old Hollywood movies, it's one to reminisce over. But yeah, Argo. It was the last film that famous film critic Robert uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, picked for best film of the year before he died sadly in 2013 now he's the god of all film critics may he rest in peace only film critic to win the pulitzer so he was kind of a big deal so any film he recommends or says was great or says is crap i mean you gotta live by his words so there you go but what this film did so well and why i think argo won best picture amongst the nominees like life of pi django silver lines playbook lame is and so on was ben affleck's ability to storytell and it was the clear inspiration he got from doing this especially from the filmmakers of the 70s and to merge this in different techniques in this movie and for it to work so fluidly and at the same time create the level of tension it does throughout the entire running time of the movie i mean there are a lot of clear inspirational love letter remarks to the style of scorsese in this film even john carpenter even matt reeves let me in i mean you can see it from a mile off and you know if you know your film history you can tell ben affleck is sort of given a homage to that by directing argo affleck basically said that he wanted the film to be a 70s movie hence the eight millimeter camera the warner brothers logo being very old and you know that's the charlie starly chosen it clearly worked out i mean the film depicts a true story done in a very stylistic tense thrilling way and at the core of the movie it's about saving lives it's about risking everything to simply you know say you know save our fellow species and it's the effort 
that's involved on a global scale to bring home six individuals who are simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. And no matter how much of it was authentic, what Hollywood is doing now is inviting us to acknowledge that these films are not totally accurate, but telling us to read about it, look it up, invest in our depiction of this event. And now that we have unlimited access or, you know, to information, the internet, phones, smartphones, tablets, iWatches, get inspired in these lost stories of history. Look it up, watch the film and make a decision for yourself. Well, would you do it that way? Is that done right? Is that what Tony Mendes should look like? And it's a beautiful thing when these stories get revitalized after they've been lost in history for about 30 to 50 years. It's great. And that's why I picked Argo uh, to do a podcast about. But anyway, that's all I have time for Argo, a great Best Picture winner that doesn't go over the top in the spy genre and successfully captivates a thrilling experience. And that's what you want from a film. That's what you want to be, you know, at the edge of your seat now. It's just, yeah, that's what it does. So anyway, please subscribe to me on iTunes, Spotify and Google. And you can follow me on Instagram. That's Film Exploration AH, or lowercase, all one word. And once again, thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. <laughs>